1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Lamar Jackson contract saga continues. The Ravens quarterback, who is entering the fifth and final year of his rookie contract, still has not signed with the team. He said... Earlier this week, the deadline is probably Friday. Anytime you say probably, that means it's not really a deadline. It would be artificial anyway. The question is, will both sides respect it and get a deal done? I doubt that a deal is going to happen. And one of the reasons why, there's two reasons. One, he doesn't have an agent. Never had an agent. Didn't need one five years ago. Didn't need one when he did a slotted rookie deal. Those deals are easy to negotiate. 32nd pick in the draft, you negotiate that deal in five minutes. Franchise quarterback, MVP in 2019, quarterback deals that are structured differently, complicated process, agent needs to be talking to the front office every day, multiple times a day, fully engaged. That can't happen when you got a guy who's getting ready for football season. That's just the way it is. And it's not a knock on Lamar. It's a recognition of the reality of the significance of this contract. It is an unprecedented situation. To have a player representing himself with this kind of money at stake. And when the notion of a fully guaranteed contract, thanks to the Deshaun Watson deal that the Browns signed in March. When that becomes something the quarterback wants and the team says no way in hell. At some point, the quarterback has to say, I'm not getting the fully guaranteed contract. My circumstances are different than Deshaun Watson's. He was in a position where the planets lined up perfectly. I'm not in that position. So what else are the Ravens willing to do? See, that's the question, Peter. And that's where an agent would be very helpful to Lamar Jackson. And I know he kind of bristles at this and people think, oh, you, oh, why are you trying to carry water for the agents? Well, look, they are the experts. They are the doctors. They are the ones who can diagnose the situation and give the proper advice. What are the Ravens willing to do? And then when you take that information, you go back to the client and say, door number one, what the Ravens are offering. Door number two, $23 million this year with no guarantee beyond it and no idea what's going to happen. Here's the door I think you should take as somebody with experience and knowledge and wisdom and who isn't you. Because you're too close to it, Lamar Jackson, Somebody else needs to give him that advice. And without it, Peter, this deal is never getting done.
2: Hey, Mike, let me ask you a question. What is the franchise, exclusive franchise number in 2023, approximately? Approximately 46. Okay. So if you're Lamar Jackson, isn't the question really, am I willing to play two years for $70 You know, isn't that the big question? Am I okay with playing the next two years at a position where I'm going to get hit a lot? Am I okay playing two years, $70 million? That, to me, is the question. If, if, if they don't get a deal done this year, and Mike, you know what? I absolutely agree with you in the way that just because they don't get a deal done by opening day, you tell me if if Lamar Jackson, if you're Eric DaCosta, the GM of the Ravens, and Lamar Jackson walks into your office one Friday afternoon in week six and sits down and plops down in your chair and you close the door and say and and he says, Hey, listen, what would happen if we just wanted to do X? Okay? I will guarantee you if it was agreeable to the Ravens. They don't care what was said on Labor Day weekend about some phony deadline. You know, they're going to negotiate a deal. And by the time that he walks into the office or walks in, into camp the next morning, they will have uh, a, a 27-page contract with all the addendums done waiting for Lamar Jackson to sign. And, and again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. In fact, I don't even think it's likely But this thing about a deadline before the season is silly. It's just silly. Let things settle down. Let everything get all cooled off. And then at one point during the season, when no one's antennae are up, and because nobody would be leaking this at that time, you know, just try to get it done. And if it doesn't get done, it it doesn't get done. Then again, you put it off till the end of the season and you see what happens. But... The biggest question to me if I'm Lamar is Am I willing to play? And I'm not saying that it absolutely would happen, but w- w- am I willing to play two years, $70 million? Am I willing to subject my body to those kind of things, knowing that if I got some serious injury in those two years, that I might have gambled incorrectly rather than taking. Whatever the guaranteed number would be now, let's say 150, rather than getting that done right now and having a contract that would tie me to the team through the end of, let's say, the 2027
1: season. And see, we don't know what's behind door number two for Lamar Jackson. If door number one is indeed 23 million this year, franchise tag next year, and possibly franchise tag the year after that which would be 55.2 million if the exclusive number for 23 is 46 that's 124 million over 3 years that is his ultimate path to freedom because by the time you get to the third tag it's a 44% raise over 55 million which is almost 100 million for one year they're not going to tag him a third straight time that's the out that's the Kirk Cousins path to free agency Two tags and you're gone, but he's got to get through three more years. Where will he be three years from now? Will he still be a guy that would be desirable on the open market to the point that some team would say, here's a five-year fully guaranteed contract, just like the one Deshaun Watson got? That's a hell of a risk. You have to know what is behind door number two to balance those two and to understand the right thing to do. How much of a guarantee? Are the Ravens putting on the table? What kind of cash flow is there in year one? What kind of cash flow is there through the first three years? That's one of the standards that experienced agents look at. And this is not a knock on Lamar Jackson or his mother. If I was 25, 26 years old and my mother was trying to help me negotiate with a multi billion dollar organization a contract like this, we wouldn't know what the hell to do. I wouldn't know what questions to ask. I wouldn't even begin to formulate a responsible question at that age. Why? Because I'm focused on playing football. That's what's so ludicrous about what's currently happening. How in the world is Lamar Jackson carving out any time to meaningfully understand or learn about or appreciate these principles? He's doing it once. The Ravens do it all the time. And Peter, let me say this too. There's no indication that the Ravens are the problem here. They've signed a lot of guys in recent years. Now, I know they learned a lesson the very hard way with Joe Flacco a decade ago, but this isn't, oh, it's just the Ravens being the Ravens. I mean, if it was Washington, then maybe we'd say, well, okay, here we go again with Dan Snyder and company. But there isn't a sense of dysfunction permeating the Ravens. There's nothing at this point to suggest the Ravens are the reason this is bogged down. I think this is bogged down because Lamar Jackson refuses to have an agent. And Peter, I hope to God that the reason is not the reason that so many other players have decided to go agent-free. They resent paying 1%, 2%, 3%, whatever percent to an agent. Because yet again, and I know people get triggered for some reason when I say this, but it's true. You can have 100% of a pie that's this big. Where you can have 97% of a pie that's this big. You do the math. Don't worry about the 1, 2, or 3%. You're getting more pie at the end of the day. You know,
2: Mike, I think that's right. And I think that one of the problems, and I'm just trying to read tea leaves. I don't know. And I don't think we really know the issue. But... If you're Lamar Jackson and you're trying to negotiate directly with a team, you know, you're obviously going to be getting advice either from the NFLPA or from your mom or from somebody else who basically, you know, is is he has no buffer, just exactly as you say. No one to tell him, "Hey, look, if you really want to get this done, stop asking for a fully guaranteed contract." Steve Bishatti would sell the franchise before he would give you that. And if you want to challenge this and be on your the last year of your contract for the next three years as you play, as you so desperately seek your freedom, that's fine. Do that. But know that there is no alternative that says that you're going to get a fully guaranteed contract, at least here in Baltimore. And Mike, I wrote this the other day. And I think this is an important uh, factoid when discussing Lamar Jackson's contract. And that is that there have been four other big contracts signed by quarterbacks this offseason. Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. Those four contracts, the fully guaranteed portion of those four contracts comes out to 47% of what the total value of those contracts is. And we can debate what is a full guarantee, what's an injury, whatever. But the point is that the Deshaun Watson contract is clearly
0: an outlier
2: in these five big quarterback contracts signed in the, the offseason. So under almost any circumstances... If you really want to get a deal done, if indeed, and I don't know that he is asking for a fully guaranteed card, I don't know what he's asking for, but if that is on the table, you're just not going to get a deal done. So, you know, and that's why to me, the longer this goes, the more I figure that, look, the Ravens want to make a deal, <laughs> you know, and it's easy to say they want to make a deal, but they don't want this thing hanging over their head like a sword of Damocles. They want to get a deal done. But they're not going to do it with the kind of guaranteed money, you know, 80 or 90% guaranteed even, uh, that, uh, that if Lamar
1: Jackson's asking for it, it's just not going to get done. Well, one reason I'd want to get it done if I was the Ravens, last year Lamar Jackson wasn't thinking about the contract at all. This year he clearly is. How much is he thinking about staying healthy? He missed the final four games of last season with an ankle injury. Is he more conscious of it? Will he play differently until he gets the contract? That's yeah. the reason to have a week one deadline. I'm not going out on the football field until I get my long-term security both against injury and as it relates to what I otherwise would be getting if I keep playing under this deal. Peter, you made a great point. And this is a thread that I think we need to to just tug on a little bit. The NFL Players Association has openly advocated for more fully guaranteed contracts. There was an essay posted by J.C. Treader, the union president, after the Deshaun Watson contract, putting the onus on agents to push – for more fully guaranteed deals. We talked about this last week. They don't get a greater percentage if it's fully guaranteed. They'd rather have total dollars available, especially in a franchise quarterback contract where rarely, if ever, does the guy get cut. But to the extent that that Lamar Jackson is being advised by the union, if that's what's happening, and I don't think that's an unreasonable supposition to make, what if the union is pushing him and pushing him and pushing him to demand a fully guaranteed contract, not because it's in his best interest to do it, but because this is in furtherance of the union's agenda to swing the pendulum toward fully guaranteed deals, as we've seen develop in other sports, which do not make full guarantees part of their CBAs. Basketball and baseball, that's just kind of the way it's developed. Wouldn't the union love to have fully guaranteed contracts for all players? So this could be a situation where... Somebody who isn't really thinking of Lamar Jackson's best interests is pushing him to get a fully guaranteed contract for other reasons altogether than the best possible outcome for Lamar Jackson. That's an important point to keep in mind if he is getting his advice from the NFL Players Association. Yeah. And like I said, Mike, I don't know
2: where he's getting his advice. So, you know, I'm just like people who are watching this show. I, we don't know, they don't know I don't know. but you just get a feeling that if Lamar Jackson you know really wants to get a deal done right now, he needs to start thinking about other ways to do a contract other than one with either full or the vast majority fully or the vast majority of it being guaranteed.
1: Simple proposition. Number one, what is the best number the Ravens will put on the table? Number two, do I take it? Do I not take it? Do I go Joe Flacco and bet on myself or do I take yeah. the money and yeah. call it a day and recognize it is a big pile of cash that I am depositing into my coffers for now and for years to come? And we always love it when a guy bets on himself. We love it. We love it because it's not our money. Yeah. It's great. It's exciting. Somebody's making a big bet. Ooh, how's it going to go? Oh, that's a shame. Didn't work out. Well, no skin off my nose. It's your bet that lost, not mine. Russell Wilson (laughs) bet on himself, forcing his way out of Seattle, and he set a deadline that worked. September 1, got his new contract with the Broncos because it was a real artificial deadline, not a probably artificial deadline. (laughs) Now that he's getting ready, Peter, to go back to Seattle, interesting subplot. Who do the fans blame for the divorce? Russell Wilson making it clear yesterday they should not be blaming him because even though he got traded and even though there's a perception he's the one that wanted out, Russell Wilson made it clear yesterday that he believes the Seahawks had been trying to trade him on multiple occasions before the trade actually happened. Have a listen to what he said on Thursday.
0: Familiar with the article that came out with ESPN? Don't know if you read it. It suggested that they tried to trade you in 2018.
2: Only seven years in the league. It suggested that you and your camp were very upset about that.
0: How true is that? Uh, definitely, they tried to, you know, a couple times and tried to see what was out there. It's part of the business and it's part of uh, being a professional and everything else. And uh, upset is probably the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think that you know. I believe in my talent, who I am. You know, I believe I'm one of the best in the world. I don't worry about anything else other than that. So if upset isn't the right word, what is the right word? I didn't really pay attention to it, to be honest with you. As far as professional sports, you know.
1: Look, Chris Sims has been saying on this program for the past few years now, really before Josh Allen became a superstar, because people are very skeptical about it when we say it now, but Chris said at least two, maybe three years ago, the Seahawks dangled Russell Wilson to the Browns in 2018 for the number one overall pick not to take Baker Mayfield, to take Josh Allen, the year that he went number seven. If you're like, oh, nobody knew Josh Allen was going to be so great. Well, nobody knew Patrick Mahomes was going to be great either, and the Chiefs traded up to get him because they knew. They had a feeling he was going to be pretty good. The Seahawks had a feeling Josh Allen was going to be pretty good. They were willing to do that trade. It didn't happen. I've heard that the following year, at a time when Russell Wilson was trying to become the highest-paid player in league history with his most recent contract extension in Seattle— the Seahawks toyed with and or actually explored trading Russell Wilson to the Arizona Cardinals for the first overall pick in 2019, with which they presumably would have taken Kyler Murray. And Peter, this is a simple matter of dollars and cents. If they had taken Josh Allen with the first pick in 2018, they would have paid him $32 million over four years. If they would have taken Kyler Murray with the first pick in 2019— they would have paid him $35.6 million over four years. Instead, they kept Russell Wilson at a contract worth $35 million per year. There's a point where the Seahawks were going to stop paying Russell Wilson market value money because they never fully embraced him on the field as a franchise quarterback through whom the offense runs, the guy who stirs the drink. He was never that guy in Seattle. At some point, they were not going to keep paying him like he's that kind of quarterback, and it was inevitable that there was going to be A divorce and I think it's fair to call it mutual I think both sides got to a point where this can't continue because they're not giving him another contract at the money he's going to want and he wants to go somewhere where he is the centerpiece of the offense not just a cog in a bigger machine that Pete Carroll has concocted that goes defense running game and oh when we're down 10 points in the fourth quarter maybe Russell will save our ass Yeah, I agree with
2: you. I think very much, excuse me, very much it was mutual. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, in the debate of what should happen when Russell Wilson runs onto the field and should he get a big ovation, should he not? Look, I, I mean, I think this is one of the simplest things that I've ever I've ever run into in this business. You know, when a guy who has done great things for your franchise, regardless of how it ended, when a guy has done great things for your franchise, brought you to two Super Bowls, 1-1, one, one, uh, when he comes back, the first time he comes back, I think it is, it's ridiculous to do anything but give the guy a tremendous ovation and to say thank you. I just, I I, I don't understand why that wouldn't be the reaction based on the last 10 years of Seahawks football. I mean, just think before Russell Wilson got there, you know what this franchise was? It was a franchise that had some good moments and just had, uh, you know, a huge moment with, uh, you know, the upset of the Saints in the playoffs and, you know, but but what were they really? What were they? They were a nice little seven and nine, nine and seven, you know, a ten and six type team. And you know, when Russell Wilson got there, he played there for ten years. They made the playoffs eight years. They went to the Super Bowl twice, and won one in an absolute rout. And he never had a passer rating under 92. I mean, he was drafted after a punter 10 years ago. And so, you know what? Give John Schneider applause for having the guts to take him higher than anybody else. Good for you, John Schneider. And give Russell Wilson the credit he deserves for having transformed the Seattle Seahawks. From an okay franchise to a franchise playing to play deep into the playoffs every year.
1: And this is the great test moving forward. Because some would say Russell Wilson was right place, right time, legion of boom. Not that he was average or would have been anything other than a star with another team, but... He enjoyed that high level of performance because they had such a great defense. And when the Legion of Boom was dismantled around 2018-ish, the Seahawks haven't been as competitive as they were when they had that defense. This is the Pete Carroll argument, that it's not all about Russell. It's never been all about Russell. And I'm not comfortable making it all about Russell. The Russell Wilson argument is, I can be Patrick Mahomes. I can be Aaron Rodgers. I can be josh allen i can be the guy just let me be the guy that was the underpinning of the whole let russ cook mantra from 2020 and remember it worked tremendously you heard every time you turned on the tv or flipped on the radio checked out the internet hey russell wilson has never gotten a single mvp vote in his entire career this year he may get all of them but then it all it all fell apart they caught up to let Russ cook. They didn't make enough changes. They didn't self-scout themselves, as Chris would say, enough to stay ahead of the defenses (laughs) once they figured out what Russell Wilson and the offense was doing. This is the test, Peter. Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos are going to let Russ cook all year long. Pete Carroll is going back to system, 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 defense, running game, efficiency, protect the football, all the coaching cliches from the 70s and 80s. That's what Pete Carroll, and and I kind of wish this game was being played later so both teams had a chance to just figure out who they were before we see this clash of cultures, but that's really what it is. Russell Wilson going from old school, you are just a piece of the puzzle, to new school, you are the guy, and who wins? That's what makes Monday Night Fascinating. Mike, I wrote
2: about something in my column this week that, uh, that basically kind of tells the tale of why Russell Wilson is so much happier now than he would have been had he stayed in Seattle. And that is, you know, the Monday before he signed the new contract, um, someone in the building told me that he's, this person said, Hey, I, I'll tell you why Russell Wilson is happy right now. I, on Monday of this week, you know, he sat with Nathaniel Hackett for two, two to three hours in a room <clears throat> on a whiteboard with tape, just the two of them going over plays, going over what he liked, what Hackett wanted to do, the little wrinkle that Russell might have wanted to put in a specific play. But and that is why he is happy now, because he always wanted a guy who he could be partners with. Some coaches are going to be amenable to that. Nathaniel Hackett's amenable to it. The Broncos are amenable to it. Obviously, in Seattle, it isn't that he didn't have the ability to go sit down with, you know, Brian Schottenheimer or, or whoever at the time, Shane Waldron recently, but he just feels a lot more empowered right now uh, about affecting the offense that he is going to run. We'll see if it works. But clearly, that is the difference between Russell Wilson's level of happiness now and what it was late in his Seattle years. And again, listen, it's not necessarily that the Seahawks did the wrong thing. I don't think there is a right or wrong in this. <clears throat> One side got tired, both sides got tired of the constant headbutting in Seattle, and they just said, look, let's just make the best deal we can and move on with our lives. And Mike, I think you and I both realize that next year, when the Seattle Seahawks have their own first round pick, and Denver's first-round pick. They're going to be sitting there with, let's just guess, the 5th and 20th picks overall, something like that, in a year where there could be some pretty good quarterbacks in the draft. So the Seahawks are going to have the ability, barring the miracle of either Geno Smith or, or Drew Locke showing this year that they deserve to be the quarterback of the future in Seattle but but at some point you have to just look at the pragmatism of this and pragmatically i think the seahawks would rather be in position to either draft or somehow acquire their quarterback of the future than this constant headbutting they were doing with russell wilson
1: especially because of what it was going to cost to keep him russell wilson signed last week with the broncos a deal with a new money average technically $48.5 per year on a seven-year deal, five-year extension, $48.5 million on the extension. Trayvon Walker, the first overall pick in the 2022 draft, signed a four-year, $37.4 million contract all in. It's about how much money you invest in the position. It's about having money for the positions around the quarterback, and that was the heyday of the Seattle Seahawks, year two and three of the Russell Wilson Rookie contract. Year two, win the Super Bowl. Year three, almost win the Super Bowl, but for a fateful decision to pass and not run at the goal line. They could have had back to back before they ever gave Russell Wilson a second contract. So I think that's what's motivating this. It drives them crazy to pay that much money to a quarterback when they think they can find someone, even if they have to trade up to the top of the draft. If you go all the way to the top, you're still paying a lot less in four years than what Russell Wilson is making in one. One of the big issues for Monday night, what kind of a reception will there be for Russell Wilson when he goes back to Seattle? I don't quite think it'll be Brett Favre back to Lambeau Field as a member of the Vikings in 2009 where he was booed every time he stepped onto the field. But but it may not be as charitable, especially if Pete Carroll gets his way. Here's Pete sending a not-so-subtle message to the Seahawks fans as to how he would like to hear Russell Wilson, be received on Monday night.
0: Hey, you either compete or you're not. I'm leaving up the 12s. And, uh, you know, it's game time and, and we're going for it. And so however they take it, I'll follow their lead on that. I mean, I'm not going to be involved with that kind of opportunity to react, you know, so I'm, I'm not, I don't have to make that
2: decision. I don't see what happens, but uh, I'm leaving up the 12s. I think they'll know exactly what to do.
1: Oh, <laughs> they'll know exactly what to do. Hey, 12s. You earned that jersey retirement not by being friendly to the enemy, but by being hostile, by being loud, by making it uncomfortable. So that's the license taboo. Don't feel bad. Don't feel like you're being inhospitable. Don't feel like you're not being appreciative. He's now wearing the colors of the enemy. React accordingly, Peter. That's the message from Pete Carroll. I mean, I guess so. <clears throat> I... I-
2: I just, I don't know. You know, I just feel maybe it's because I'm 65 years old. I don't feel like everything is all of a sudden the, the, the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl and every play is the most important play you'll ever play. I mean, let's be a little human here. Just, just be a little human. Uh, you know, be, be grateful for what you have. And part of that gratitude in Seattle, you know, you're being, I, I, I don't know. I, I will be, I'll be surprised and disappointed if at some point, either maybe when he first runs out or whatever it is that he doesn't get a huge ovation. Now, I guess from the sound of it, he's not going to get a huge ovation. I just, I think it's small. I just think it's small. I think it's wrong. Well, and whatever, whatever anybody would think about, oh, let's compete, let's compete, all's fair in love and war and everything. Okay. I mean, all right. I, I, I don't get it. It's just
1: not, that's not the way I would do it. But again, to each his own. Well, and you said it's a time to be human. Human nature would cause many to skew toward using the occasion and the opportunity to boo Russell Wilson. And Pete Carroll just wants to win this game. He wants to win this game, and he understands the value of that stadium that has been specifically designed to maximize the direction of the crowd noise toward the opposing sideline and to make it as uncomfortable as possible because that's how... You'll win the game. And Pete Carroll wants to prove, if nothing else, that he was right to move on from Russell Wilson. Everybody knows he's the one calling the shots, ultimately, in Seattle. They really don't have an owner, per se. It's Pete Carroll running that football operation. He decided, let's move on from Russell Wilson. Let's not pay Russell Wilson. We can win without him. And uh, all's fair, definitely, because all Pete Carroll cares about is emerging from Monday night 1-0, and and it will help if it's even more uncomfortable than it otherwise would be for Russell Wilson to operate. Let's go ahead and take a break. Plenty of other week one games. We will rip through as many as we can when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this.
0: Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines.
2: But I, I believe that if Lamar Jackson, and I don't know what he's, he's asking for in this weird Byzantine bizarre
1: contract negotiation. And I agree with you, but before I elaborate on that, I have to point out that our friend Todd sent an email early in the segment saying, now that Peter is back, will we get a Greek mythology reference or an English professor vocabulary word first? And Byzantine is the winner. So we got the English professor word before the Greek mythology reference, so Todd got his answer before we even got to 7.30 a.m. Eastern. Peter's slipping. Today, all we got was numbskull. He's quoting Mo Howard on the first <laughs> Friday after the start of the regular season. Uh, and you know, Peter, you and I may be the only ones who know who Mo Howard is at this point. Do you know who Sweet. Mo Howard is? If you know who Mo Howard is, let me know at florio at profootballtalk.com. All right. Um, th- there may be some eye gouging in Carolina on Sunday when. <laughs> The Browns and Miles <laughs> Garrett go to take on. Uh, Baker Mayfield will have to do this. That's the ultimate defense to the eye gouge, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Carolina Panthers hey, and Baker Mayfield.
2: You know, Mike, I've been thinking about this game. It's really there's so many interesting games this weekend. Even the games that aren't that interesting on the surface have four or five storylines that are really fun. But One of the reasons why this one is so much fun, at least in my opinion, is that we really don't know how Mayfield's former teammates in Cleveland, deep down, feel about him. Do we? Most times you get, oh my God, I love Mayfield, I love Baker, it was so great having him as a teammate, and yeah, he's, but I mean, have you really heard that? I mean... It's almost like, you know, the, the Miles Garrett Baker Mayfield relationship is like <clears throat> one of these, uh, one of these relationships in Hollywood that you're on, you're off. It's like Benifer, you know, You're on, you're off, you love the guy, you hate the guy, you're not sure about the guy. And, and it's like, it's like at some point, I think we're going to see some emotion. On the field, on behalf of the Browns, if the Browns do win this game, like, you know, some real emotion about take that, Baker Mayfield.
1: Miles Garrett said yesterday, according to Mary Kay Cabot, that there were some disagreements that we had Garrett and Baker Mayfield at a base level. I'm not mad at the guy or feeling any way toward it. I don't know how to reply to that, so I didn't. There was a text message he received from Baker Mayfield where Mayfield said, appreciated the time we got to spend together and getting to know each other and growing together. And that was the text from Mayfield, and Garrett had nothing to say about it. And, look, one guy was the first overall pick in 2018. That was Mayfield. Garrett was the first overall pick in 2017. There was a time where Mayfield said publicly that Patrick Mahomes should have been the number one overall pick in 2017. No Disrespect intended to Miles Garrett, and that's the kind of thing that a guy may possibly interpret as being disrespectful. I don't know, but there clearly was an issue there. We saw it last year when the Odell Beckham Jr. stuff happened. His dad posts the video of all the times OBJ was open and Baker Mayfield didn't throw it to him. There was never any groundswell of support from Baker Mayfield. All we ever heard was the players love OBJ. The players are behind OBJ. There was never a rally to the defense of Baker Mayfield. Really, throughout any of the time that the Browns jerked Mayfield around, they told him he's the guy. Then, well, you're only the guy if we can't get somebody better. And then they leaked the idea they want an adult in the room. And there was never any sense that his teammates were taking up for him. And now you've got Mayfield highly motivated, Peter, and you've got the Browns maybe quietly motivated. Makes for a great week one game. Well, the other part of this, Mike, is that, you know, look,
2: and you can't tell how the game is going to go, but if I were the Browns and I were on defense for the Browns, I would say, hey, listen, you know, until we really know what we have on offense with Jacoby Brissett and with a receiving core that we're not really sure of right now, I mean, we're probably going to play a bunch of low-scoring games. Particularly against a good defensive team like Carolina, playing at home. So to me, if I am the Browns going into this game, I'm thinking our defense has to be the star of the show. And so for that reason, it's up to Miles Garrett to and and his and his mates to basically try to win this game and to hold the fort in games that. You think you probably should win, but you're not really sure because you have no idea right now. You can say all the nice things about Jacoby Brissett that you want, okay? but the fact is, if you look at his history, you really don't know what you're getting in Jacoby Brissett. You know the kind of guy he is. He's a great guy, and he's a good leader. You feel good about him as a person and everything, but you know he he's bounced around a lot for a reason okay and so right now you better figure
1: if you're the cleveland defense we better keep this a low scoring game patriots opened the season at the dolphins they're 2 and 7 in their last 9 trips to miami when every year they've been the better team now you could argue the dolphins are the better team the patriots went tuesday to South Florida to acclimate to the heat and humidity and maybe just try something different. It smacks of desperation. First game ever for Mike McDaniel as head coach of the Dolphins, Peter. And Tua Tonga-Vailoa is going for his fourth win all time over Bill Belichick. That is rarefied air for any quarterback. Not many quarterbacks have beaten Bill Belichick four times. Tua can be the latest one to do it. I think Peyton Manning... And we were texting on the PFT chain yesterday. Warren Moon back in the 90s may have gotten the better of Belichick with the Browns four times. But Tua going for fourth win over Belichick and company at a time when, Peter, across the board, it just feels like the Dolphins are the better team right now.
2: Yeah, when you said a minute ago Miami might be the better team, I'm saying I don't think there's any might about it. And I'm not saying I, I don't, you know, the Patriots could win this game. Belichick is good at making slog bowls out of games that they don't look like they've got a great shot, okay? But to me, you know, the beginning of of, uh, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, uh, Mike Gesicki, and Tua, that is a huge, huge edge in this game versus the weaponry that the Patriots have. And I think number two is, you know... I don't think anybody really knows what to expect out of Mike McDaniel, you know, as the head coach of this team. Uh, And he's going to be very imaginative and all that. And on the other hand, all you saw in the preseason, both in games and in practice, was the frustration of a New England offense being run by Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, Bill Belichick to some degree. And look, I'm not saying that the loss of Josh McDaniels is going to push this team to a seven-win season, but I do think it's
1: going to be a significant factor. Packers and Vikings open in Minnesota for the second time in three years. The Packers blew the Vikings off the field in 2020, thanks in part to the fact that no fans were in the building during the pandemic. This time... U.S. Bank Stadium will be a-rockin', don't-go-a-knockin'. Aaron Rodgers bringing in a new receiving core, the Vikings with a new coaching staff, but a lot of the same players. This one could be one of the more intriguing games of the weekend because I think the Vikings' offense is going to be a lot better. The defense can't be much worse, and who knows what the Packers are going to have when it's time for Aaron Rodgers to throw the football, Peter.
2: I think what's going to be really interesting is when you watch the Green Bay Packers play football this year, you are going to see a lot of newness on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Obviously, you know, I've been very vocal in the fact that, in my opinion, that I think Romeo Dobbs is going to be very good as a rookie for this team. Maybe not Sunday, but eventually. And then you just really don't know right now what you've got, say, in Sammy Watkins. I think this game could be very big for Sammy Watkins because they need a veteran presence. You know, as you look at Dobbs, who I think is just, I think long-term, he's got a really good chance to be good. But I think the one other factor in this game is I want you to watch, you know, the use of the backs by Green Bay. Because I think Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, uh, that is going to be a one-two punch that you're going to see a lot of. And if you're Aaron Rodgers, I I would not be surprised if there are more passes to backs uh, in this game and early in this season than Rodgers is used to and, quite honestly, is comfortable with. Because that, to me is how they're going to be able to move the chains in a loud uh, stadium in Minnesota Sunday.
1: It's a week one Big 12 showdown in Arizona as the Chiefs take on the Cardinals for the first time ever. Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray face each other in the NFL. And Cliff Kingsbury, who coached Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech, now coaches against Mahomes for the first time. This one could be very interesting. The over-under is at 53-and-a-half. It's one of the highest, if not the single highest of the week. And this is the first test of the Tyreek Hill free Kansas City offense. Patrick Mahomes said this week, sorry, fantasy football managers. It's going to be a different guy every week who's getting the catches in the yards. Mahomes is going to get his numbers. He's just going to be distributing it, Peter, all over the place. Mike, it's very easy for me to say this as a
2: non-gambler because there's no ramifications. There's no, I, I don't care. But I just have three words for you in this game. Take the over. <laughs> and as I look at this game and you try to figure it out, I think Andy Reid, who told me that after 10 years, he's got some juice now. The reason he's got some juice, he didn't say it specifically, the reason he's got some juice is because he knows what everybody on the outside is saying. And everybody on the outside is saying that, oh, that Tyreek Hill loss is going to be a huge loss. Well, Juju Smith-Schuster is as happy and motivated as he's ever been in his NFL career. And, you know, you watch now Sky Moore, who's going to be a difference maker At some point, the rookie from Western Michigan. Watch a guy who you don't expect anything out of, Justin Watson, this year, uh, who's going to be a factor in Kansas City. There's a reason why Patrick Mahomes, when I saw him in training camp, had a little bit of fatigue. It's mental fatigue. He is getting four new receivers ready to go. And I think you start to see uh, the fruit of all that labor on Sunday
1: Uh, In Arizona. And Miles Simmons and I were talking about this yesterday. There has been a much greater effort by Patrick Mahomes to get his new receivers acclimated than there has been by Aaron Rodgers to get his new receivers acclimated. One of the reasons why I am less concerned about the Chiefs without Tyreek Hill than I am about the Packers without Devontae Adams. Let's take a break. When we return, the Buccaneers have Tom Brady. Will this be his last year ever in the NFL? He was asked that question yesterday. We'll let you hear what he had to say as we get you ready for the Sunday night game, Buccaneers at Cowboys. More PFT Live right after this.
0: You're 45, you're not on the contract for next year. Do the thoughts ever creep in, Tom? Uh, this might be my last time around. How do you keep those thoughts out of your head? I think we're all getting one day older at a time. So, you know, we're all not sure whether we're going to be here next year or not. You know, it's a reality for every player, every coach, every parent. Um, you know, you just never know. So. We should all take advantage of the opportunity that we have, which is the one we have in front of us now.
1: How do you navigate when the conversation and the speculation start shifting to like your your personal life? How do you handle that? How do you deal with that?
0: It's been like that for a long time for me, so you know I know how to try to do my best and, and I'm a professional to show up every day and do my job the best best way I can, obviously.
1: Up every day except for the eleven days he didn't show up, but we know that by now. Look, everything that goes on with Tom Brady at this point in his career is unprecedented for him, for us, for everyone. This guy is farther beyond the E on the gas tank than anyone has ever been, and he just keeps going. And look, Peter, he's he's always he's always evasive. He never is candid. He wasn't going to tell us if it's his last year. He doesn't want anyone to know if it's his last year. He doesn't want a farewell tour. He said that himself. He doesn't want it to be about him. Even though it's kind of been all about him this year, he doesn't want that extra pressure and extra focus to take away from team. And, and I know there's a thought from folks who know him that if he really allowed himself to view it as his last year, he would maybe be a little too emotional and anytime he's a little too emotional, he's not as effective as he needs to be. Yeah, I don't really
2: recall Brady being that emotional. You know, when you talk about Brady and emotion, you know, it's interesting. We talked earlier in the show about what happened. Uh, y- you know, when the Patriots lost the first game of 2003, uh, and they to Buffalo 31 nothing, and went on to win the Super Bowl. I also think back five years ago when Brady lost the first game of the season to Kansas City. That was the big Kareem Hunt-Alex Smith game. Uh, they lost 42-27 to 27 in Foxborough. And that was the year that he had Gotham Chopra filming him the entire season. And they ended up doing that first real big uh, Tom Brady documentary. But do you remember, Mike, there was a scene in that. Where Tom Brady was in the driver's seat of the car driving away from Foxborough that night, and Giselle Buncheon, his wife, was in the passenger seat. And she goes, Oh, it's okay. It's all right. You're just getting to know these guys. It's a new season, and you could tell Brady wanted to hear none of it. He was emotional in a in a volcanic way, but you know, he capped it in, he kept it in. But I never really think that emotions have very much to do with how Tom Brady plays. You don't really see it other than in the fact that he loves it when people discount him. you know. But I think this year is... I have no idea if he's going to keep playing. You have no idea. I'm not sure that he really knows deep down inside. But I do think one thing, that... There will be times early in this season where he's throwing to Russell Gage and he's throwing to Julio Jones. New guys where he's going to know that that 10 or 11 days that he didn't have with them, working with them, that's going to be a factor early on. Because Brady is a metronome. He loves practice. He loves the effect of piling one practice on the next one to get to know his receivers. So that, to me, plus the interior of his offensive line, which is brand new, those are the things that would concern me, especially, Mike, in what could be a shootout game in uh,
1: Texas on Sunday night. And before we pivot more closely to that game. Let me just say, I agree with you. I don't think Tom Brady knows what he's going to do next year. And I think what happens this year is going to be a factor. If they should win the Super Bowl this year, I think he's more likely to walk off into the sunset. If the Buccaneers don't, there's a chance he surveys his options in the offseason and makes a decision to either not play or there's a team out there where he thinks he can have the deck stacked in his favor and have a shot at getting number eight and walking away and then becoming the Top commentator for the NFL coverage by Fox. All right. Uh, NBC has the game on Sunday night between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. A great way to start the season. You mentioned the offensive line. Let me start there. You've got the overhaul on the interior offensive line between retirement, free agency, injury. There are concerns, and we know historically the best way to pressure Tom Brady is up the middle. Then you've got the issue in Dallas where no Tyrant Smith. Rookie Tyler Smith, 21 years old, 24 years younger than Tom Brady, is the starting left tackle on Sunday night for the Cowboys. Which offensive line are you more concerned about? I'm
2: much more concerned about uh, about Tampa's because Dak Prescott can get away a little better. Uh, And I'm worried for Brady's sake about the fact that the interior of this line, I mean, Robert Hainsey was the right tackle at Notre Dame. And he was drafted knowing that he was going to have a position change. And look, I talked to Hainsey for a long time in training camp. I I have faith that this is going to be uh, about as smooth a transition from Ryan Jensen to a backup as there could be. But we still don't know. He's playing, you know, before 100,000 people in his first game at center ever, you know, as a pro. And then you've got two new guys on either side of that center. Hey, Mike, there's one other thing. What about this oblique injury that Tristan Wirfs had in training camp? That, and I think he's the best right tackle in football. How much of an impact, if at all, has that magically disappeared Is he absolutely, totally fine? Is he 100%? I don't know. We don't know. The Bucs aren't going to tell us. So I'm concerned about all those things. Not that Dallas has the best pass rush in football, but I do think that that would really be my concern if I were Byron Leftwich, uh, Clyde Christensen, the quarterback coach, if I were preparing for a, a big game on
1: Sunday night. Hey, you start twisting that big torso around when Micah Parsons is coming around the edge, that oblique injury may flare up. The thing with Tom Brady, though, is he gets rid of the football so quickly. He knows ahead of time. He said yeah. this six years ago. There's nothing you can show me I haven't seen. He walks up to the line. He knows who's going to be open. He gets rid of the football. So you don't need to hold the blocks as long as you would for other quarterbacks. Dak Prescott was limited in practice on Thursday because of, of all things, New cleats that were bothering his ankle. He says he's good to go. Hopefully he ditches the new cleats by Sunday night. But uh, he had that right ankle that he broke week five of the 2020 season. The new cleats made the right ankle feel uncomfortable. So that's why he was limited. Just strange to have a reduced workday, a fairly important workday. As you get ready for the Buccaneers, you have it curtailed by the fact that your cleats are bothering your leg. Just kind of a weird little wrinkle to throw into your preparation for the season opening game, Peter. Yeah, I never think things like that are that big
2: a deal because, in essence, you've been thinking about this game for six months ever since the schedule came out. And I'm sure that part of what they did in training camp was Tampa-related. And and sure, that y- y- you know, the... The the bulk of the of the you know nose to the grindstone preparation is this week, but in many ways you've been pre- preparing for them ever since you got to training camp because quarterbacks just don't play in the preseason very much anymore.
1: Let's go ahead and take a break. We will recap the best of the week that was on PFT Live, and then the first regular season. Show me something draft for 2022. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this.
2: What do you got, Daniel Jones? This is a year he's got to develop. Show me something, Daniel Jones. At some point, the quarterback has to lift his team. Show me something, Daniel Jones. This is the kinda game that Daniel Jones has to get right. Show me something, Daniel Jones. This is a game, Daniel Jones, that you were drafted to win. Show me something, Daniel Jones.
1: You know, there was a time in the preseason where, Peter, I considered texting you, but you were on the West Coast to have you call in and say, show me something, Daniel Jones, because we did a preseason, show me something. And Daniel Jones, I think, was one of the natural picks that week because the whole season we want to see what Daniel Jones can do. The whole season on Friday, we do our show me something draft, specifically based upon the games to come, the players, the coaches, whoever needs to step up and show us something. So, Peter, week one, 2022 regular season, you are up in the show me something draft. Show me something, Mitchell Trubisky. You're going to Cincinnati.
2: You are playing the defending division champs, the Super Bowl team from the AFC. Everyone is looking at you. And though no one is saying it, everybody in Pittsburgh is thinking, can you hold off Kenny Pickett? And if so, how long can you do that for? So show me something. Mitchell Trubisky,
1: Sunday at the Jungle. Goes a long way toward quieting those fans in Week 2 for the home opener against the Patriots if Trubisky carries the Steelers home with a win because they want Kenny Pickett. I want Tom Brady to show me something. Justify the 11-day absence. Prove to us that you're still the same guy that you were. We got a little cameo, a little snippet, a little flash in the preseason finale at Indianapolis. Not enough to make anyone think that everything is fine. You said it earlier, Peter. When he's throwing the ball to Russell Gage or Julio Jones, will he truly be comfortable? Will he truly be ready? Will he be able to deal the football like he usually does behind that patchwork offensive line. I said it all along as we were obsessing over where he is, what's happening, where does it go from here, what does it all mean? If on the opening night of the season he plays like he always has, it's a dead story, it's a non-issue. And this is his chance to turn the page on the 11-day hiatus permanently and conclusively by being the guy he's always been.
2: Show me something, Devontae Adams. So we pretty much... Devontae Adams had a very quiet summer. And the, the, the Las Vegas Raiders have made it known to everybody that they're incorporating Devontae Adams into their offense. He and Hunter Renfro are going to be... And Mac Hollins are the three guys who Derek Carr is going to use an awful lot this year, but really... When you trade a huge amount, your first two picks in the draft for Devontae Adams, you give him a huge deal. Uh, you're expecting him in a rivalry game, in a game that always is a come-down-to-the-end game. Make some plays in this game when you play at the Chargers in this week. You know, Make some plays in this game to show that this trade was a wise move by
1: dave ziegler and josh mcdaniels great one and we're going to see the ball i think going to Devontae adams a lot less frequently than we did in green bay because there's a lot more weapons with the las vegas raiders second round for me show me something trey lance show kyle shanahan something trey lance he's on the clock he's on thin ice They brought back Jimmy Garoppolo at a time when they had told the whole world this is Trey Lance's team. Now Garoppolo is hovering. There was that weird thing earlier this week about the captain vote. And even though they had seven captains in 2020 and 2021, Kyle Shanahan cut off the number of captains at six. So Lance doesn't have a C on his jersey. Why? I think because it makes it easier to tell Trey Lance, you need more seasoning. You need more time. You need to watch and learn some more we're going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo with our super bowl ready team. So it's Andre Lance. Step up or step off. We'll see if Lance can do it. Let's take a break. Round 3 of the Show Me Something draft for week 1 when we return right after this. All right. Show Me Something, week 1, round 3. Peter King, you're up. Show Me
2: Something Daniel Jones.
1: <laughs> now, I say show
2: me something, Daniel Jones, for a very specific reason. The last time that the Tennessee Titans were on the field, they terrorized Joe Burrow. Jeffrey Simmons with uh, three sacks in that game, and they are, in my opinion, a very bad team for Daniel Jones to face in his opening, opening performance to try to win this job long term. Show me something, Daniel Jones.
1: Show me something, Tuatonga Vailoa. This is your chance. The table is set. The team is ready. You've beaten Bill Belichick three times. You're expected to win this one and expected to take the team to greater heights. And if not, there will be someone else. Finally, show me something, Mo Howard. Thanks to everybody who chimed in with the accurate information as to who Mo Howard is. That comes from Anthony, who's only 28. And immediately was aware of who the Three Stooges are. By the way, I was remiss. I did not notice that there was a Greek mythology reference today, Peter. Sword of Damocles. I should have used it for the Trey Lance show me something. It just went right over my head, it went right over my numb skull, literally. (laughs) We had some fun, Mike. Well, we always do, and we appreciate everyone for sharing some of their morning or afternoon with us if you're listening on the podcast. We'll see you on Monday. Enjoy week one.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.